0: we do something you know that has been done in the ch- in the church traditionally for centuries but uh, we do this at wayside every easter uh, you heard it a little bit uh, amidst the din of noise earlier but uh, elias said it but i'm going to i'm going to repeat it again and here's how it goes i'm going to say he is risen and then you guys respond he is risen indeed heartily okay all right you can do this on zoom too all right so let's get started it's easy you need to practice yes we- Nope, yes. Okay, just kind of prepare yourself. Take, take a, a cough drop if you want. All right, here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I love that. I love that. Well, good morning folks. Glad to have you with us. Uh, today, as you know, I hope you know, is Easter, also referred to as Resurrection Sunday because we're focusing on the resurrection today. So today is Easter, and you probably also knew that tomorrow, It's not just Monday, it's National Tax Day. Yeah, I don't think we have any tax accountants in our church or, you know, people hurriedly run out the door right now. You can hang out till after the service and then you can go work on your taxes. But uh, I thought it was strange that tax day fell. I mean, you get so used to it falling on the 15th of April every year, right? Unless it's on a weekend. But the 15th was on Friday. So I thought, man, this is kind of weird. So um, I assumed uh, that the federal government was commemorating... Good Friday. And if you assume that as I did, you are sorely mistaken. The federal government was not celebrating Good Friday on Friday. Uh, And so I actually Googled it, and I discovered uh, a new holiday I didn't know about. And that is, uh, it's local to the District of Columbia. If you've ever lived in the District of Columbia or worked for the federal government, you might know about it. But it is called the uh, D.C. Emancipation Day. And so every year on April 16th, the District of Columbia celebrates the signing of the, of the D.C. Compensated Emancipation Act of 1862 by President Abraham Lincoln. This preceded the emancipation of slaves in the South by eight months. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, I nerd out on stuff like this, so I kind of went down that rabbit trail and found out a little bit about it. But basically, since April 16th fell on a Saturday this year, the federal government, including the IRS celebrated by observing this, this holiday on Good Friday. It just happened to be on the same day. And the, what I learned about this, this, um, this holiday, local holiday to D.C., is that the District of Columbia, where our, our nation's capital is, it was the only district, it was the only governmental entity in the country to actually compensate slave owners for the emancipation of their slaves. Y'all have heard about the Emancipation Proclamation that freed slaves in the South and other different legislative moves that happened prior to that in the North and other places. But the District of Columbia was the only one to actually compensate the slave owners for the emancipation of their slaves. And so if you were loyal to the union, that was key, because the Civil War was, was going on. Uh, but if you were um, loyal to the union, you could be compensated up to $300 for every freed slave. And I'm excited that emancipation took place. I do think it's pitiful that $300 was the, was the value on a human life. But all that to say, this, this was cause for celebration. And all in all, 3,100 men and women were emancipated on April 16, 1862. And that date has been cause for celebration ever since. In fact, the very next year, the very first anniversary... Uh, The freed slaves and others in the District of Columbia through a huge parade, and they've been celebrating this ever since. But D.C. Emancipation Day and Good Friday, which happen to fall on the same day this year in terms of their observation, uh, they've got more in common than just the date that they share on this year's calendar. They are both celebrations of redemption. And redemption is a, is a rich theological concept in both the Old and the New Testament. But they're both celebrations of redemption. Those former slaves in the District of Columbia were legally and financially redeemed from the sinful institution of human enslavement. Similarly, Good Friday reminds us all of our spiritual redemption from slavery to sin and death by the blood of Christ. That's what we were celebrating on Good Friday just two days ago. The crucifixion, it constituted a once and for all payment for sin. All the songs that you hear, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You hear about being ransomed, being purchased. These are all biblical concepts that refer to this idea of the crucifixion being a once and for all payment for our sins. But the resurrection is and always will be our proof of payment. Without Easter Sunday, and you have to understand this, without Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday would be no good at all. There would be nothing to celebrate. And so the big idea for today is that the resurrected Christ did indeed conquer sin and death so that we can live with peace and hope by trusting in Him. That's it. That's at the core of the Christian faith. Otherwise... If the resurrected Christ hadn't conquered sin and death through his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, then we would have no basis for peace with God or the hope of eternal life with him. I don't know how to be any more clear than that. The Apostle Paul really makes it even more clear, I guess, in 1 Corinthians 15-17. This is the short verse that we're going to look at today. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian church in chapter 15. He says, he's talking about people uh, saying there is no resurrection and Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And he says, if Christ has not been raised, he's telling this to Christians, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You have not been redeemed out of slavery to sin and death is his point. So the resurrection was absolutely essential to God's redemptive plan. And this was Paul's point, that without the resurrection of Jesus, our faith in Christ, our Christian faith, would have no basis whatsoever. If Jesus had never conquered the grave through resurrection, then we would have nothing to celebrate today on Easter Sunday. The resurrection was the ultimate proof that Jesus was and is who he claimed to be. You understand that? His whole ministry, everything he claimed about himself as the anointed one, uh, that was spoken of in the Old Testament as the long-foretold Messiah. Everything he said about himself rested on the reality of his resurrection. If you knock that out, he was not who he claimed to be. Death, the fact that he died on a cross, what did that prove? It proved his humanity, it proved his human nature, that he could die. That's why the baby was born in the manger, so he could grow up to suffer and die for our sins. So in his crucifixion and death, he proved his human nature, but the resurrection proved the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. And it also proved the perfection of his human nature and the fact that he had indeed completed, fulfilled, accomplished his redemptive mission that he had been given by God the Father. He was down here not just to show us a a shining example of moral uprightness, he was that for sure, but he was so much more than that. He was sent down with a mission to redeem us from slavery to sin and death. And, and in his resurrection, that was our proof of payment. That was uh, our receipt, so to speak, that he had accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. I mean, think about it. If Jesus never resurrected, then he was a liar. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying that either Jesus was a lunatic, a liar, or he was Lord of the universe. Like, you don't get any other options. You don't say what he said and get the pass of just being a good moral teacher. You're either an absolute lunatic who goes to your suffering and death for no reason whatsoever, or you're a liar on par with Satan himself, leading other people to their suffering and death for something you know to be fake or false, or he's Lord of all. Those are the only options. And so if he never resurrected, then he was a liar, and the Christian church is perpetuating his lies if he was never resurrected. If he, if he never resurrected, then he could not be the, the Messiah foretold by Scripture. We can look back on the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets and the Writings, and we can see through, look through the crucifixion and resurrection and understand just how much of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, was fulfilled in Christ. But all those things that were foretold of Messiah... If Jesus never resurrected, if he just died on a cruel Roman cross, then he could not be that one spoken of foretold in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew Scriptures. If he never resurrected, then he surely did not save us from our sins, as Paul was pointing out to the Corinthians. Without the resurrection, how would we know that God's wrath towards sin had been fully satisfied? How would we know that God's wrath towards sin, that God's judgment of sin had been completely poured out on His Son? How would we know if He just died and remained dead? It's it's in the resurrection that we know that. How would we know that the penalty for sin had been paid in full? All of our sin, past, present, and future, how would we know if He hadn't risen from the grave? But the historical fact is that Jesus did rise from that grave 2,000 years ago, and his resurrection is our proof of payment for sin. It's, it's like, uh, uh, you know, he says, to die uh, on the cross, he says, It is finished. Famous words from the cross of Jesus. That same phrase, which means, you know, it is accomplished. My, my redemptive mission is accomplished in his suffering and death and ultimately in his resurrection and ascension. But that's what he was saying with his last words from the cross. It is finished. And, and archaeologists have found uh, tax receipts from the Roman Empire that have that same word, tetelestai, stamped across them, meaning paid in full. And that's exactly what the resurrection tells us. It tells us that, that his redemptive mission is finished, it has been accomplished, and that our sin has been paid in full. Every year after tax day, and I hope you... I hope I'm not the only one that gets these, but I get these spam calls after, like right around tax day, usually right after tax day, and it's this automated call, and it's always this really strange voice that I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think the customer service at the Internal Revenue Service would have had this, this guy calling me on the automated voice. But I get this call, and it says that I owe lots of money to the Internal Revenue Service, and unless I pay immediately, Please call us at this number and give us your credit card number, your bank account information, right? Unless I pay it immediately, I'm going to be arrested and or deported, which is strange because I'm a, I'm a citizen. <laughs> and so, you know, when I get these calls, what do I do? Do I freak out? Am I anxious? Oh, no. You know, give them my credit card number. No, I just hang up, right, because I know that my tax debt has been paid in full, and I have the, the IRS receipts to prove it. I'm nerdy enough to make PDF files and stick them in a Google Drive folder. I have the receipts to prove it. But sadly, and you see this in the news, it, it seems many people lack that assurance about the situation with their own taxes. And so these scammers have literally received millions of dollars in payments from people who actually didn't owe anything. They had already paid in full. And the only way to counter scams like this And the IRS has it all over their website. The only way to counter this is to get the truth out to as many people as possible about how the Internal Revenue Service actually works, how they actually do business, and it's not that, and also how to find out where you stand in terms of your tax debt. There's real easy ways to find out right away what you owe or don't owe to the IRS. But taxpayers need proof of payment, and they also need assurance of of our debt-free status, so that we don't become victims of these scams. And the same is true for our Christian faith. The same is true for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We must keep going back to the simple, yet incredibly, unfathomably profound truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sin on that cross and then rose again to new resurrection life, ultimately ascending into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father as our eternal intercessor to go back to that simple yet profound truth that we now have forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ. In John 10, 10, this is a famous verse when Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Maybe the phone scammers come only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's talking about his flock. He's talking about his sheep. He's the good shepherd and he died. He laid down his life for us so that we would have life and life more abundantly or life to the full. And I think Easter is one of the greatest times. There's nothing inherently special about Easter as a day. I mean, we we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Easter and we celebrate some other things, Lent and Advent and things. Those, you know, if there's some Christians that don't celebrate those things. But you know what I like about these rhythms throughout the year, these church calendar rhythms, is that it gives us a chance to to, to really seriously consider certain things. And I think Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is one of the best opportunities for all of us to really ask the the simple question, am I living the abundant life that Christ promised? Am I living this life to the full that Christ promised in John 10.10? And perhaps you are, and if so, then praise God for that. If you have that hope and peace and joy and purpose and love and compassion and that, that sense of your own forgiveness and the sense of the value that God has placed upon you and your creation and redemption, then praise God for that. But perhaps you're not. Jesus claimed to be the only way. One of the reasons our church is, is called Wayside is because of John 14, 6, where Christ says, I am the way. Not I am a way up a mountain among many. I am the way to God the Father, to a relationship with God, to a reconciled relationship with God. So if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then you cannot take hold of the abundant life he promises. Guys, if there were another way... I would not stand up here, I would not commit my life to standing up here every Sunday and every time I talk to any of you at a coffee shop or wherever else you find me telling you that Jesus is the only way. If there was some other way, there's not another way. It's through His, it's through trusting in Him, His death and resurrection. The gospel. So I would just say if you've never trusted in Christ, then your next step today, however God got you here, if you're on Zoom... However you ended up on this call, I would just challenge you that your next step today is to just seriously consider the claims of Jesus Christ. And please do not buy into the pop culture assumption that he was just a nice teacher man who taught us ethical, moral truths, and then he just sadly was killed by the Romans. Okay? Like, don't buy into that. Actually look at his claims. Seriously consider what he claimed about himself. That's your next step. If you have questions, man, I live to sit down and over a cup of coffee and talk to people about who Jesus claimed to be and who I believe him to be. Uh, so if you have questions, I'd love to answer them. But my prayer is that you'll lay aside whatever else you're trusting in for forgiveness or eternal life. Guys, we all have gods we worship. It may be yourself. It may be someone else. It may be some thing. You know, you may go worship some metal or wooden idol in some big, you know, empty room in some temple. I don't know. But what I'm telling you is that whatever else you're putting your faith in for forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with God is a dead end. And so seriously consider Christ and what He claimed. And I pray that you'd lay those aside and simply trust in Him. And for those of us who are already following Christ, we need to understand the strategies of our spiritual enemy. We have a spiritual enemy. And His strategy is to defame and blaspheme God. His strategy is to destroy God's people and defame and blaspheme God by leading us into temptation and sin and trying to destroy the church, which we know he'll never do. But that's the strategy, and we need to know that as Christians so that we don't become victims of the devil's schemes. The devil is certainly going to challenge the proof of payment provided by the resurrection. If you don't think, if you're a Christian, if you don't think our spiritual enemy is going to come and put his sights on your belief in the resurrection, then, then you, you just you. I, I don't want you to be surprised. There's gonna be doubts that creep in. There's gonna be times where you question: Do I really believe this? There's gonna be people putting pressure on you. I can't believe you really believe that this guy, this this uh, Jewish teacher, uh, two thousand years ago, rose from the dead. How silly is that? Kids, you, you're gonna face the same pressures as you grow up, and that's why a lot of kids walk away from the Christian faith when they get out of their house and they go off to college. Okay? You need to know that that's coming. But like the IRS scams, he's going to try to convince us that we still owe something to God for sin. Guys, this is where we move from grace-based salvation, from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, to this works righteousness thing that is so, uh, uh so permeates the human nature. We really do think that we just, have, if we work hard enough, if we do enough good stuff and don't do so much bad stuff, that somehow it's all going to shake out, we're going to be good with God. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is works righteousness, and it is the antithesis of what Scripture tells us, of what Jesus claimed. And so we're going to be, be, at least our enemy is going to try and convince us that there's still something we owe to God for sin. And if, if we don't keep the gospel front and center, then we can easily be misled... Into what? Into an exhausting life of trying to please and or pacify God through self-effort. Guys, I don't know of anything more exhausting than to try and please or pacify God as though it all was up to you and how hard you worked at it. Guys, there is nothing more relieving, refreshing, and restful than to just just know and believe and accept that you are accepted in Jesus Christ through faith in Him. That God's grace is yours in Christ. The free gift of salvation is yours. Because of what he did, not because of what we did. Or we'll let shame and guilt accrue to crushing levels. Who's ever done something they feel ashamed about or guilty about? Right, everyone should be raising your hand. But we let shame and guilt accrue to these crushing levels rather than casting it off at the foot of the cross. I love the Pilgrim's Progress. He talks about. It. John Bunyan talks about this in the Pilgrim's Progress, but it's this burden, and all of a sudden you find yourself going back to that burden you left at the foot of the cross and putting it back on and trying to trudge up the hill, and you feel exhausted. Well, you know why? Because you went back and picked up that burden that you have no business carrying. The guilt and the shame for your sin was placed on Jesus Christ. It was placed on his shoulders. That's what old and New Testament tell us. And you've got to leave it there. And if you accrue more guilt and shame, then you leave that there too. And that's what we call confession and repentance. And we have forgiveness because of Christ. So don't fall into that trap of letting that accrue. Either way, we will have been scammed and kept from living the abundant life of love and joy and peace and purpose and hope that we've been promised, promised by Jesus if we'll trust in Him. In Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, I say that about every chapter, but Romans 8's good. In Romans 8, uh, verse 34, Paul writes this. He said, he's talking about condemnation. And uh, you know the famous verse, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a marvelous verse. That's a marvelous truth. But this is what he says a little bit later towards the end of the chapter. Paul writes this. He says, who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of, of God and who also is interceding for us? So his point is, like, if Jesus is who he says he is, and of course Paul believes that he is, then he's died for your sins. He's risen again from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's presented his perfect sacrifice of himself to God the Father as our high priest. In the line of Melchizedek, all the stuff we looked at back in Hebrews. And now he sits at the Father's right hand. He's not even standing. He's done. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so Paul says, if that is true, then who is there to condemn you as a Christian? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> the answer's nobody. When we belong to Christ, we have an advocate who stands before God the Father for all eternity, interceding for us on the basis of his own perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He's not up there going, no, 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 he's a really good guy, God the Father. I promise you, he's not going to, oh, he messed up again. Ah, sorry about that. He's going to do better. No, he presents himself as the fulfillment, the accomplishment of our salvation. And no one can take that away from us. Again, it's God's grace through faith in Christ. And if anyone, whether it's Satan, who's known as the accuser in Scripture, or somebody else, or even our own heart, that's trying to condemn us before God our eternal savior will simply raise his scarred hands and say paid in full <clears throat> for the rest of eternity you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ <clears throat> i'm going to close with a quote that i read i was while well, i was nerding out on dc emancipation day <clears throat> I uh, I read this quote on uh, the DC.gov website, and it was written back in 1862, right when the news broke that President Lincoln had signed this into law for the District of Columbia. And a black District of Columbia citizen, uh, a man who was writing to his friend in Baltimore, and he was describing how he had broken the news of the emancipation to two of his female friends, one of whom, herself, had a son who was enslaved. And this is what he writes about breaking the news to these to these friends of his, these women. He says, when I entered, they perceived that something was ahead and immediately asked me, what's the news? The district's free, says I, pulling out the National Republic and reading its editorial. When I had finished, the chambermaid had left the room. Sobbing for joy. The slave woman clapped her hands and shouted, left the house, saying, Let me go and tell my husband that Jesus has done all things well. And while the cook, who is free, retired to another room to offer thanks for the blessing sent. Should I not feel glad to see so much rejoicing around me, he writes? Were I a drinker, I would get on a jolly spree today. But as a Christian, I can but kneel in prayer and bless God For the privilege I've enjoyed this day. And I love how the news of redemption and emancipation led for all these people to worship. The freed slave woman worshipped Jesus for her freedom. The cook offered thanks to God. And the man himself who was writing the letter felt compelled to pray and to bless God for what he considered to be a privilege to experience these things. So folks, today on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate an even greater redemption, infinitely greater redemption. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has redeemed our souls from sin and death. And so may we all respond as we ought to, just as they did with worship.